Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? While the light outside is getting dark, and my hellhounds howl and bark, the ghosts and demons float on through to frighten, scare, and terrify you. The host voice cheerfully float and bubble, discussing haunts and histories that will give you trouble. They are kind and caring, I will admit, though sometimes murders they can commit. Deaths occur when tongues are foreign, but that does not stop them from their fabulous decorum. Perfect we cannot expect them to be, especially when they bring the show to you and me. With a little help from us EPs, great content is brought to you, you see. So if you like what you have heard, I encourage you to spread the word. You, my dear, have great power to bring the light to the witching hour. With little as three cents a day, you can help the ghosties play. That warning to not tempt the spirits, if you donate, you shall hear it. So here's that question for you, my friend, when you've stayed to listen to the end. Do you choose to run or hide? That, my friend, is for you to decide. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 221st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your spooky host, Diane. And this is your kooky host, Denise. And uh, that's a little inside joke for the spooktacular crew. Today, we are bringing you the Jerome Grand Hotel, which is down in Jerome, Arizona. And this was suggested by our listener, Katie Hickox. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you. But before we do that, we'd love to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Jody with an IE at the end. Hello, Jody with an IE. Obased, and I hope I said that right. Hello, Obased. Chris with a CH. Hey, Chris with a CH. Monica. Hi, Monica. Catherine with a K. Hey, Catherine with a K. India, who has an amazing name. Hello, India. Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Cheryl Lynn with an S. Hello, Cheryl Lynn with an S. And Michelle with two L's. And Michelle with two L's. Welcome. Denise, I think we should call this the hurricane edition. Yes, that might be a good addition to have. We are recording this episode first and foremost because we want to get one out to you because we're more than likely going to lose power. So we want to get this up before that happens. But also we need a little bit of distraction. I think the worst part of knowing that the hurricane of the, I don't know, century is about to hit you is the waiting part. Exactly. So I don't know who invited Irma to the party, but she's not really welcome here. 
Yeah, you can go to, well, where we like to send evil spirits, Irma. I'll just put it at that. We want to thank all of you for your thoughts and your prayers, the text messages that you've sent, your other messages, and uh, we're as prepared as we can be, so we're hoping for the best. doesn't look like we're going to get hit with the onslaught that we were going to originally. The original track was literally coming through our backyard. Yes. So we are glad. We're hoping it doesn't shift too much. It's always hard because you're always relieved when it's not coming right at you, but then you don't want it to go towards other people either. So I just wish that she would burn herself up and disappear. Yeah, we have a lot of listeners in Florida, and we know a lot of you are over there on the West Coast. So our thoughts and prayers are going out to you as well. We've been here for 10 years and haven't had a major storm, so I guess we were due. And now, this moment, Naughty. Zarafa was a giraffe that was gifted to Charles X of France from the Ottoman Viceroy of Egypt, Mehmet Ali Pasha, in 1827. She was captured as a baby by Arab hunters in Sudan and eventually transported by boat down the Nile to Alexandria. She then boarded a ship to Marseille that had a hole cut through the deck to accommodate her height. The group traveling with her felt it was too dangerous to take her to Paris by ship, so they decided to walk her the 900 kilometers or 559 miles. She had an entire entourage, including a naturalist named Etienne Geoffrey St. Hilaire, join her on the walk. St. Hilaire ordered a two-part yellow coat to keep her warm and shoes for her feet. The trip took 41 days and she arrived in Lyon on June 6, 1827. A crowd of 30,000 greeted her. Zarafa was presented to the king on the 9th of July, 1827. A crowd of 100,000, an eighth of the population of Paris, came to see her. She was a sensation, and giraffe fever swept the country of France. Women arranged their hairs in towering styles, and spotted fabrics became the rage, along with the color referred to as belly of giraffe. Home decor was plastered with giraffe images. We sometimes take giraffes and zoos for granted. The journey in craze surrounding Zarafa for us living in the modern era certainly is odd. Welcome. We have been expecting you. <laughs> and now, this month in history. In the month of September, on the 16th in 1810, Father Miguel Hidalgo y Castilla rang the bells in the town of Dolores Hidalgo and told the local people to start their fight for independence from Spain and recover the land stolen from their forefathers. This was the beginning of the break from Spain for Mexico. The middle class was tired of sharing their wealth with Spain. Two priests became the main protagonists of the independence, Hidalgo and José María Morales. On the 16th, Hidalgo also freed the prisoners in Dolores and locked up the Spanish authorities. Hidalgo started with a small group of 600 men, but he eventually had 100,000. A little less than a year later, he was tricked, captured, and executed by firing squad. The fight continued for years, and Mexico's first independent government was formed on September 28th in 1821. 
The city of Jerome in Arizona sits perched above the beautiful Verde Valley on Cleopatra Hill. Today, it is considered an artist community, but it was once considered the wickedest city in the West. Like so many Arizona towns, Jerome became a mining town with a focus on copper. In its heyday, it was one of the richest mines in the world and was dubbed the billion-dollar copper camp. Thousands made the town their home, from miners to prostitutes to lawmen. A hospital was needed for all these people, and that is what the Jerome Grand Hotel started as, but in 1996, it became a hotel. Throughout its years, it has earned a reputation for being haunted. Many guests and employees claim to have had experiences. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Jerome Grand Hotel. William Andrews Clark was one of the richest men in the United States when he was alive. Even today, his fortune would rival that of Bill Gates and William Buffett. When he died, he was worth the equivalent of $31 billion in today's money. That's a lot of money, Denise. It is definitely a lot of money. But most people don't know him. You're probably all scratching your heads going, who's William Clark? You know William Buffett, but you definitely don't know this guy. His contemporaries were men like Andrew Carnegie and J.P. Morgan. They have all the notoriety, and he basically has none. And it's probably because his wealth was derived from a very, as they would say, unsexy metal, and that's copper. It's kind of funny for us to say that nowadays, Denise, because we know, obviously, gold and silver, a lot of people like those, but you hear all the time about how copper gets stolen from construction sites and things like that, so it has a lot of value to it. Clark was one of the great copper barons, but that was not the only reason that he is not as well known. He spent most of his time in the Wild West, and Clark was not a philanthropist that left endowments or buildings with his name on them as a legacy. But he did build towns, many of them in Montana. But Arizona has Clark to thank as well. In 1876, the first mining claims were made in the area where the town of Jerome would be founded. The United Verde Copper Company was incorporated in January 1883, named for the Verde Valley where the copper was found. William Clark bought the United Verde Copper Company in 1888 for $80,000. He implemented big changes with its operation, and innovative technologies were introduced. Clark brought in the narrow-gauge railroad that brought more people to the region. In 1899, Jerome was incorporated as a city. It was named for the secretary of the mining company, Eugene Jerome. In 1903, the New York Sun ran the headline, This Jerome is a bad one. The Arizona Copper Camp, now the wickedest town. And Denise, I looked and looked to see what all the talk about this wickedest town could be about. Were there these great stories of shootouts and outlaws hanging around? And you look at all these other Wild West cities that we've touched on, especially the ones who've become like ghost towns, and I couldn't find a whole lot of stories for it, which amazed me because to be dubbed the wickedest town in the West... We've heard a lot about some of these towns being called the worst in the West or the wickedest city or whatever. So I'm not exactly sure why it got dubbed this, but apparently the people in New York thought so. Obviously, they had their red light district. There were more bars in town than churches, obviously. But I couldn't find any specific stories about what this wickedest town had going on there. Copper became a key part of bringing electricity to the masses, and in 1909, electricity came to Jerome. The town hit its top population in 1929 at 15,000 residents. In 1935, Phelps Dodge Mining Corp. purchased the United Verde Copper Company for $22,800,000, and it operated the mine until it closed in 1953. 
The mine had been open for 77 years, and in that time it produced nearly 33 million tons of copper. And then there was also gold, silver, lead, and zinc ore that was found there as well. The population nosedived to less than 500, and Jerome became a virtual ghost town. Today, the town plays up its ghost town status as a tourist attraction, and obviously all the artists came to town, and that's how the artist community developed then. Visitors to the town can't miss the highest public structure in the Verde Valley, the Jerome Grand Hotel. The building was constructed in 1926 by the United Verde Copper Company to serve as a hospital for its employees and their families. The 30,000-square-foot and five-story structure was built in the Spanish mission style and was built to withstand the nearby mining blast. The hospital was also fireproof, and many considered it an engineering marvel since it was built on a 50-degree slope. It was named the United Verde Hospital after the company. By the 1930s, it was the most modern and well-equipped hospital in Arizona. The hospital officially closed in 1950 as the population of Jerome dwindled to nothing. And the building sat abandoned for 44 years with moderate maintenance in case it needed to be used in an emergency. The maintenance stopped in 1971 and then the building was neglected. The Phelps Dodge Mining Corporation owned the abandoned hospital and sold it in 1994 to the Althea family. The family began the restoration and decided to reopen as a hotel, which they named after the town, the Jerome Grand Hotel. The doors were opened for business in 1996. Most of the original elements were kept, including the Otis elevator that was installed on October 1926 and the cast iron radiators. The elevator has not been modernized with automatic doors or any other upgrades and surprisingly has been out of order for only a total of four hours and 15 minutes in the past 10 years. I just want to say that's amazing because I work at a resort and we have elevators and I've been there for 10 years and we can't make that claim for sure. Uh Oh, Disney, you better get your maintenance together. What's really cool about this elevator, Denise, is when it says that it doesn't have the modernized automatic doors. That means the door is the old pole, the door closed and gate. So it has a gate and then there's another door that you pull close to. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And when you look inside of it, it's got kind of an old carpet on the on the bottom of it. I, I think it's just like a throw rug. And then at the very top, the wood, it's like wood paneling on the sides. And then the very top, it's cut out and there's just these bars. So you can actually see the innards of the shaft as you're going up and down. And of course, it's loud and creaky and, and that kind of thing. But uh, I just I thought that was so cool. I'm like, I just want to go there so I can pull the gate closed. The decor of the hotel is set to the 1920s and 1930s. It's a really deep, rich-looking wood. The walls from the pictures that I had seen are this really cool green color. Looks like a, it does, it looks like it's straight out of the 1920s or 30s. The hotel features a bar and restaurant as well. And interestingly, the restaurant is named Asylum. Now, this is not owned by the hotel. It has a separate owner, but it's inside of the hotel. It's almost five star. Some of the reviews I saw said it was overpriced, but that the food was excellent. So definitely a place to check out. The scenery from the hotel is said to be amazing and beautiful. Remember, this is built up on top of the hill at a 50 degree slope. So it has a view of the entire old district there in Jerome. The hotel underwent a recent renovation. And when I say recent, I think they still might be doing some of the renovating. And this is in 2017. And then (laughs) I was really excited when I first wrote the research out here, Denise, I put, and they offer ghost tours. And as I was looking, you know, we're always looking for people's comments about any ghostly experiences they had on Yelp or TripAdvisor. 
so I'm looking through there and I mean, comment after comment was just raving about the ghost tours they had at the Jerome Grand Hotel and about the guy named Chris who hosted them, that he had great information. He had actually lived there as a kid and that it was just excellent. So I was really excited. I was like, oh man, I really, really want to visit this hotel. It sounds so cool to see. The town sounds cool. And then the ghost tour sounds amazing. I know. So it was like getting ready to be put on the bucket list and then... So sometimes I like to go to the Facebook page of some of these locations just to see if I can see some pictures from inside to get more of a feel of what this looks like, what it feels like. And as I'm scrolling down, I notice that in August of this year, 2017, it was informing everybody that they were updating their web page, that they're doing all these renovations. And then you get to the bottom and it's the owners have decided to go the way of the Stanley Hotel, which means yeah, we're not going to do those ghost tour things that has been bringing all of these people in and making all of this money for the hotel. We really didn't have this set up to be a haunted hotel to begin with. So we don't want to embrace that anymore. It's still haunted. The ghosts are still here, but uh, we're not going to offer that or ghost hunts or anything like that anymore. And I went, really? Okay, well, all I know is that the Stanley Hotel received such a backlash that they decided that maybe our investors really don't like it, but the world is telling us, are you stupid? So maybe the Jerome will get enough pressure and they will decide to bring back the ghost tours because the comments that were on that post after that were not happy. The hotel is reputedly haunted by several specters and all manner of strange phenomena has been experienced. This hotel is thought to be one of the most haunted buildings in Arizona. The television series Sightings featured the Jerome Grand Hotel on one of their episodes, and a number of paranormal investigation groups have recorded paranormal activity. Shortly after the hospital opened, both patients and staff started having experiences they couldn't explain. There were disembodied voices that featured coughing and moaning and imperceptible talking. These sounds came from empty rooms, leaving nurses feeling uneasy. And speaking of nurses, one of the first full-bodied apparitions ever reported was that of a woman in a white nurse's outfit hanging around one of the hospital balconies. The sounds of coughing and labored breathing have been heard by guests of the hotel as well. So Denise, we have one of two ladies in white here, and it's in a nurse's outfit. So kind of cool that we've got a, a white outfit here and it's a nurse. Yes, very cool. So there's our explanation for why that lady's in white. <laughs> Jerome was full of miners, obviously, since it was a copper town. So it isn't surprising that one of the ghosts that's seen at the hotel belongs to an old bearded miner. A patient at the hospital made the first reported sighting, and he claimed that the miner had been floating down the hall and that he turned on all the lights as he went. Sometime later, a nurse reported seeing a bearded man in miner's clothing standing at the end of a hallway. She approached him, and he disappeared. This beard has continued to be seen by hotel guests. He is generally seen on the second and third floor. Room 20 is reputedly home to a ghost cat, and some of the experiences that people have reported have been threatening. Some of those threatening things are people have been pushed in the hallways. One guest was so disturbed by seeing a door open by itself in his room that he ran to the lobby and slept there, unwilling to return to his room while it was still dark. The hotel lobby may not have been the best place, though, because it's considered the most active area in the hotel. The lobby doors open and close by themselves as though unseen guests are coming and going. Items fly off the shelves in the gift shop. Pictures are pulled from the walls in the lobby and chairs have been rearranged. Desk clerks receive phone calls from empty rooms. When they pick up the phone, they hear no one on the other end. 
As for the rest of the hotel, objects moved by an unseen force and phantom footsteps are heard walking the hallways and the stairs. The cleaning staff have experienced the most paranormal activity. They hear their names called out when no one is there and their cleaning supplies get moved or go missing. Guests and staff both claim that the ghost of a little boy around the age of six likes to hang around the third floor. Denise, we do these bonus episodes for our executive producers and the latest one featured haunted elevators. One of the elevators that we did not include in that episode is the 1926 Otis elevator that's here at the Jerome Grand Hotel. There are two ghosts connected to this elevator. The first is our infamous lady in white. This lady is actually elderly, which makes her unique since most of our ladies in white seem to be younger, Denise. Yes, so that's very, very cool. So we have two unique ladies in white at this location. She's usually seen standing near the elevator. So I don't know if she's waiting on it. And that to me seems to be more residual in nature. The other ghost is the most well-known spirit at the hotel. His name is Claude Harvey, and he was once the maintenance man for the hospital back in 1935. Most people called him Scotty, and they were shocked when they heard about his death. His body was found pinned under the elevator, but the inquest found that his cause of death was not being crushed by the elevator. His neck was broken, and he had a scratch behind one of his ears. Some thought that he had jumped down the elevator shaft, but there was no reason for him to kill himself. The death was officially ruled an accident, but many believed he'd been murdered and then dumped in the shaft where his body was later pinned by the elevator car. And it's interesting, when they used to take people down to do the tour, you would go down into the boiler room, and this is where supposedly he was crushed. And I have a picture up in the show notes. They have like the outline of the body, Denise, like they do at a crime scene. And so you see this body that's right next to the elevator shaft door there, only it's like cut off where the head is. (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. So it's like, here's the scene of the crime, and there's the elevator right on his head. I know, it's um, quite uh, unique and interesting in and of itself. Perhaps because of all of these reasons, Scotty is not at rest. Almost immediately after his death, the elevator started behaving oddly. Lights were seen in the elevator shaft, and there are no lights in there. When the building was abandoned, people claimed to hear the elevator creaking up and down. It's not something you want to see, especially if you're one of those urban explorers and you're checking out the place and all of a sudden the elevator starts moving, particularly when you know there's no electricity in the building. So how in the world is the elevator going up and down? That one is shocking unless it's some other phenomenon. Others have claimed to actually see Scotty as a shadow person in the basement and near the elevator. Some see his full-bodied apparition and he appears angry and makes people feel uncomfortable, but he has never hurt anyone as of yet. Carrie S. on Yelp wrote, My son and I had an incredible time at this boutique hotel. The drive to Jerome was well worth it. Scary, but worth it. We checked in and the staff was super friendly and explained everything to us, manual elevator, etc. And we were put in room 37B. This is an absolutely beautiful hotel and it is most definitely haunted. We had many paranormal interactions during our one night stay. The hotel staff also gave my son a copy of the death certificate in a letter from the 24-year-old girl's family. She lost her life after jumping to her death from the window in room 37B. If you want more information, I highly encourage you to read the journals at the front desk and or to take the ghost tour with Chris. And as we know, that's no longer in existence now. I don't know if they still keep the journals at the front desk. As far as I know, they do. Another Carrie was on TripAdvisor. She gave a review of the ghost tour at the hotel. And then she included a weird picture that she had taken. And we've got that in the show notes as well. 
It's kind of this blurry, shadowy figure that's over another woman that she's taken the picture of. Now, you could say, well, maybe it's a trick of the light if there's a window open and the woman's casting a shadow, only it looks like it's literally over her because she's darkened. There's a girl next to her that's very bright and she looks like she's standing behind a shadow, really. I know it's very weird because it is on light on each side of the shadow, too. Many people have died in this building. Do their spirits still remain here after death? Are more than just the living staying at the hotel? The front desk has journals full of guest ghostly experiences. Is the Jerome Grand Hotel haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, definitely. It sounds like there's some stuff going on there, and they have all different kinds of ghosts, including one of our ghost cats, which we don't hear too often, but there are a few out there, so there's one here at the hotel. It seems like when there is a ghost cat somewhere, it usually is at a hotel. I know. That's kind of weird, huh? Not too many places let you bring your cat. Our next episode is going to feature the Colbertson Mansion, and this was suggested to us by our listener, Melody Davis. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you. We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We sometimes get comments on the website from people. The first one is from Matthew. I've been working overnight for about a year and found this podcast six months ago. I'm finally caught up and I was very surprised when I found your article on the Eddie House because I work about two miles from the location. This is by far my favorite podcast, and then he suggested a location for us. I hope you're okay as you prepare for Irma and wish you safe travels through the aftermath. Well, thank you, Matthew, for your thoughts there, and uh, we'll definitely add your suggestion to our list. And yeah, the Eddie House, what a weird place and weird brothers. Really enjoyed doing that episode. And then we got a comment from Valentina. Hi from Cairns in the tropical northern Australia. I found your podcast by pure chance as I was looking for something interesting to listen to during my long work commutes. With a crazy but fulfilling life like mine as a working and busy single parent, it's great to have some me time early in the morning and get to listen to your amazing podcast. I am passionate about history and paranormal. I have a couple of stories that I will email at some point. Looking forward to hearing those. And you offer the perfect combination of the two, together with some good humor and quirky facts. I've been slowly catching up with all your episodes from day one, and I would not be able to pick a favorite as I love them all. You ladies rock and keep safe. The news of Hurricane Irma has reached us here, too. Thinking of you all. Well, thank you again for your thoughts there, Valentina. So cool to hear we have somebody in Australia, Denise. Yes, very, very cool. Someday we are going to get down to that continent. And speaking of international, all of our reviews that we're going to share on the show today are international, Denise. That's really exciting. The first one is from Laza Brauf in the UK. Five stars. What a podcast. These ladies are brilliant. I found History Goes Bump via the iTunes Scary Stories tab. And what a find. I love the show and started listening from show one. And 80 episodes later, I'm addicted. Diana and Denise are two fab hosts who make you feel like you're having a chat over some afternoon tea about stories and spooky history. Right now, it better be pumpkin spice because we're getting so close to Halloween. A brilliant podcast to pop on whilst you want to take yourself off for a little while and immerse yourself in some spooky and thrilling tales and facts. A great mix of facts and spooky encounters while leaving the decision to believe or not with the listener. My list of places I want to visit is increased tenfold after listening to these ladies. I feel like one of the gang while turning on each episode. If you like a good scary story and are a bit of a history nut, this is the show for you. Thanks for all the hard work, ladies. And I hope by the time I get up to date with my episodes, you're still thrilling and spooking us listeners tuning in from Whitstable in England. And I hope I said that right. We got another review from Ireland. Yes, we love Ireland as well. Madam Aqua, 
I really love you all five stars. I really love your podcast. I'm really interested in the paranormal stuff and have my own paranormal pages on Facebook. So I decided to look for paranormal related podcasts and I came across your totally awesome podcast and I totally would recommend it to anyone and everyone that is into the paranormal. Keep making more podcasts, Jake. Well, thank you, Jake. And send us an email or join up with the Spooktacular crew and let us know what your paranormal pages are. We'd love to check them out. And then we have Christy Lee, who is from Canada and the host of Canadian True Crime. I love that podcast. Make sure you're checking it out. Really awesome. Five stars. Amazing Dark History podcast. And the host, Diane and Denise, are extremely endearing. If you love ghost stories and general paranormal type stuff and want to know where individual stories originated, this is the podcast for you. Well, thank you, Christy, for that. We want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Jody Peterson and Lindsay Otto. Thanks. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.